evening, Lord Thames. Hello there. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Elder Diabolic's World of Psychotronic Soundtracks. This is episode 50. Ooh. Ooh, indeed. And, uh, well, as it's episode 50, we'll start with something special. And that is Hugo Montenegro. Well, you call him Montenegro. Uh, Montenegro, <laughs> Montenegro. And this is Spaceport. And this is from the film Tomorrow from 1970s, a foul guest. Very... Um, well, you haven't seen it, have you? No, very youth orientated, like 60s youth, because it's 1970, and by the time it was going to come out, it was very outdated anyway. But this is Hugo Montenegro with Spaceport.
with Spaceport. Yes, tomorrow. Now, we're saying it like that because it's got two O's. And, uh, well, I I saw the film fairly recently and uh, there is a reason why it's called tomorrow because they said, man, because we're too much. <laughs> that, that that will give you right away an idea of what kind of film we're, we're dealing with here. So this is like a sci-fi teen musical written and directed by Val Guest. Um, Val Guest was asked to work on this project by James Bond producer Harry Schultzman. Yeah. And I was saying to you before, actually, the fact that, well, we'll come to it later on, that it seems to be that Eric Rogers was involved in music supervision. Yeah. And you may wonder whether it's like a boys in Pinewood Studios kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. But um, Schultzman thought that Val Guest was a good fit because obviously he does stuff like Quater Mass and, and all sorts of other mm. films. Uh, so a musical. And he's done musicals as well because he's done Cliff Richard films as well, didn't he? Yeah. I guess, yeah. So he's done teen musicals and he's done sci fi. So it all seems what, logical, what, yeah. What a, what a <laughs> better man to do it. But um, this all comes from Don Kershaw, who people will know is the guy behind, well, not really behind the monkeys, but partially behind the monkeys and the Archies. And of course, he's a music publishing legend, really, yeah. isn't he? Because that's where he, where he comes from. He's the guy that had all the best writers in the Brill building, didn't he? Coffin and Kings and all that sort mm. of stuff. Yeah. Now this was expected, like like the Archies and the Monkeys, to have a like you know a film and then a succession of hit, hit singles and stuff. Yeah. But of course, that never never really happened. And um, when you see the film, you'll see that it was badly dated before it even came out. So yeah. it was it was it was never never going to happen. But and the film never got released anyway because Valgest sued them the, the, the makers of it 
uh, because he never got paid, and he, so it couldn't get. I think it only had one initial uh, screen, and that was it. So yeah, it's been really, really hard to see, and it's finally had a DVD release recently. But it it doesn't look very good quality, so I don't know what what where the uh, source material comes from. But it's certainly not from the hmm. um, negative or, or or any kind of good print. Uh, the, the kind of story of it is, is there's these aliens that have been floating above Earth for a while looking for something good to pick up on and, and then one of the kids in this band invents a tonalizer, it's a <laughs> synthesizer and it yeah. creates a, a, some sort of signal that they are really interested in and then they become really interested in the music and the, <laughs> the... but what one thing's really got going for it this film is that it's got really nice special effects and all that kind of sort of matte painting and special effects and uh, and it's the it's, it's and the cinematographer's by Dick Bush who, who did loads of Hammer films and did lots of the Ken Russell films. Yeah. Uh, and the special effects team would go on would did the Bond films and would go on to do Star Wars and all that sort of thing. Some of the yeah. model makers stuff. So it, it's credited to have music composed and conducted by Hugo Montenegro, but the only track by him on there really is, is Spaceport, isn't it? Mm. Which is the first track we heard. And then it gives you no information about the rest of it. It just says songs are composed and written by Richie Adams and Mark Barkham. Now they're two of Kirshner's writers who one of them, they wrote Pretty Pretty Flamingo. Oh right. Yeah. Um, and they wrote the Banana Splits theme. But that's, <laughs> that's their two sort of the biggest songs really. Um, but it does if you go deeper into I found it on the BFI's website about this, it says that the music supervisor was Eric Rogers. And mm. um, there's a track coming up later on which I played you earlier on and. Uh, that sounds more like it could be someone like Eric Rogers, doesn't it? And it yeah. certainly sounds like you said you immediately think you picked out the drummer, didn't you, straight away? Yeah, I think the drummer on the I think the drummer on Spaceport as well is um, Art Morgan, who uh, is a session man who did lots of uh, good stuff with uh, people like Roger Webb and people like that. Well, we're going to hear that uh, track. It's called Walking on Air. That will come uh, after two other tracks we've got coming up first off from a different film. But uh, um, going back to this, yeah, I'm uh, reading as well that. Bruce Welch was uh, of the Shadows was was going out with a living news with John at the time, oh, yeah. and he came up with some idea that he was going to get all his friends together and rewrite all the music <laughs> uh, and put it because they thought it was out of date already, and he thought the songs were really weak, yeah. and they are a bit some of them. But I like the songs, but they you can see why commercially they didn't they didn't work. Yeah. But obviously he realised it was a ridiculous thing to try to go <laughs> back. How expensive that would be to re-record all the music, dub it over, and try and you know yeah. match the mouths of, of all that is. Yeah, so <laughs> it was never going to happen. The back of the album lists all the band members. Now we've got Ben Thomas. He was a stage actor. Um, doesn't seem to have much musically. He has appeared in in a, in a German film singing a song actually, which had music by Gert Wilder. Oh. Uh, it's a Udo Jürgens film from 1964, a musical 1966. Sorry, called The Haunting Castle. In what is that? You go on, you'll get that. Salzkammergut. Salzkammergut. Right. Uh, drums and vocals is Carl Chambers. Now he's the only one that, I, that seems this that seems like is a proper musician. Yeah. He's from Philadelphia and he's written and performed on quite a few. Uh, Sound of Philadelphia tracks mm. uh, over the years, uh, stuff by uh, MFSB, Teddy Pendergrass, OJ's, Barbara Mason. So he's you know he's proper, uh, and he's in his this LP says he's back Stevie Wonder as well. Uh, Vic Cooper. Now he is another musician actually. Vic Cooper is the, the the guy who's like got invented the tonalizer yeah. in this film. <laughs> of course they're they're using their own names I think in this film as well. Um, because they're supposed to be the real band, aren't yeah. they? This was going to be about. He was um, a pianist, organist for Chris Farlow and the Thunderbirds, and then went on to uh, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. Yeah. And also toured and did loads of stuff with Tom Jones, and he was a pianist on Green Green Grass of Home. Oh. And finally, the most well known, of course, did you guess that voice? Yes, it's Olivia Newton John. Just about hear her on the background. Nothing much to say about her because she's so obviously 
very well known, but what yeah. I didn't realise was that her grandfather won the Nobel Prize for his work in quantum mechanics. No, I didn't know that until I saw the back of the record sleeve. Exactly. So, yes. and, her, and her father was an MI5 officer who was uh, involved in the, um, the um, enigma, break crack in the Enigma oh. code. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and and his uh, he actually took uh, Rudolf Hess into custody during during the Second World War as well. So there you go. Yeah. Fascinating. Anyway, we've spoken about that for a lot. And did you have anything to say, by the way? Not really. I mean, the only thing I can add to this is that um, the real reason why they were called Tomorrow is uh, although the dialogue says it's because they were too much, the actual reason is it's because um, they wanted to trademark, they wanted to originally call them tomorrow, but they couldn't trademark tomorrow because it's just a word. So yes. they added the extra O so they could um, register it because they clearly thought that they'd be able to exploit it for maximum uh, merchandise. You know, and, they, and they really are too much. They are. <laughs> well, let's move on to our next film now. This is Zufole. And this is music by Giuliano Sorgini, who we've had before, yeah. uh, living at Manchester Morgue. Mm. Uh, this is a, um, an album that was really, really expensive. You're talking three, four hundred pounds to buy. Yeah. And the wonderful people at Four Flies Records who have been saving me hundreds and hundreds of pounds with all these wonderful reissues they're doing. What I like about Four Flies is they packaged them exactly, pretty much exactly as they were released, mm. especially ones that had beautiful art in the first place, um, but also have line, new liner notes. And this one has got liner notes from um, Sorgini, so it's, it's, it's lovely and the, 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 the records are great. This is actually music to a documentary by Fellini, but not that Fellini. It's uh, his brother, Riccardo Fellini. Yeah. Uh, he was a um, documentarian specialising in uh, uh, nature documentaries. Uh, it says on the, on the record that he met Fellini, um, or George, uh, Sorgini met Fellini during a short spell working for Rye TV where he wasn't very happy but he bumped into him there and uh, uh, since then they started making some documentaries together. They made one other one actually which, is, which also is available on, on vinyl but not, not been reissued. The record's got one of my f favourite things, of course, which is a big list of all of the, the musicians. Yes. And it says here there's 16 first violins, 16 second violins, and six violas, four cellos, two double basses, etc., etc., etc. But we have got some good personnel here. We've got uh, Maurizio Moyorana, who's, who's playing bass, and he's from Imar Quattro. In fact, we've got most of Imar Quattro on here. Oh. For drums, we've got Roberto Podio, who's another Imar Quattro. Uh, and then we've also got on drums as well, I guess one might be doing percussion or whatever or on different tracks. You've got Enzo Restucci, who we'll hear again later on on another track, which is a Morricone uh, album we've got coming up shortly, and he's, he's playing drums on that. Uh, who else have interest in here? Oh, um, Vanucci, Antonio Vanucci is also from Imar Quattro. So the only person we're missing from Imar Quattro, I guess, is uh, Carlos Pez, isn't it? Yeah. Is the, uh, um, Edward also turns up on this. And uh, Sorgini himself plays drums, organ, Hammond, synth, Moog, Arp, you name it. So uh, He didn't score that many films, actually, Sorgini. I think he was not overlooked a lot, I guess, but he did certainly make some memorable ones. Yeah. Right, some memorable, like Beast in Heat and Let, uh, and uh, Living Dead at Mashed Morgue. So he's, uh, his name's on some quite iconic films, good or bad. We'll start with a track called Mad Town. <laughs>
Giuliano Sorgini with Edda Delorso, as uh, you may have guessed, doing the vocals on that. That was Red Old Skies from Zoo Foll. And uh, before that we had uh, Tomorrow with Walking On Air, and another one before that from Giuliano Sorgini, which was called Slaves. And that was the Tomorrow tracks where you're pretty certain that, well, you think that's probably Hugo Montenegro conducting perhaps and... Yeah, yeah. You, what was the drummer again? You said Art Morgan. Art Morgan, and any any else? You think? Well, you probably need to listen to it again. Yeah, nobody but... nobody I recognised immediately on that, but the drumming is very distinctive. So, yeah. So we're wondering whether that's where Eric Rogers is more involved. Yeah. With, who knows? But uh, but love to find out the story of exactly the recording sessions and what what who was involved in what. I sort of imagine it's one of those kind of things that everyone's tried to blot out of their memory. Now, <laughs> it was a particularly happy experience working Indeed. on tomorrow, but for anyone. Uh, so let's move on to some Ennio Morricone. Mm. So we should be looking at Ennio Morricone Corner. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is an album. This is fantastic. Again, this is another very rare album to get. It's been reissued on CD and such, but I don't think it's been reissued on vinyl. Um, I found a copy of this recently. It was quite expensive, but not as expensive as it normally goes for. And this is Madalena from 1971, which is a fine, fine. And of course, what is this album most well known as? Kimai. Kimai. Yeah, Kimai. Of course. Yeah. Well, we call it. If we're English, we we know it's it's Chimai. That's Kimai how it's normally pronounced. Because here, yeah, it? but yeah. it's really Kimai, isn't it? Yeah. Kimai. But uh, now we've been doing this for a few years, we can kind of we can re- right, re-realize yeah. that yeah, it's it's Kimai. <laughs> yeah. We must be the only country in the world that calls it Chimai or yeah. Chimai, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, it was a hit in this country. Quite a big hit in the early 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, because it, it was early 80s. Yeah, 81, 82. Life and times, Life and times, of, times of David Lloyd David George. David Lloyd George. And yeah. uh, we had a disco version of Come Madalena on the B side, funnily yep, enough. Exactly. And there's 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 very there's all sorts of stuff going on with this because also, well, I'll talk come to that in a minute because there's I've got some yeah. bits about about the various versions film, of this, <laughs> but we'll briefly talk about the film. It's it's incredibly hard to see. Um, I did manage to source a copy of it. But it was from Polish TV. Uh, it's an Italian film, and of course the director's Polish. It's I'll try and say his name. It's Jerzy um, Kavalerowicz. Um, don't complain, Polish listeners. Uh, and I won't be saying that again. Uh, he's a really important figure in Polish cinema, though massively important figure. I mean, I should say, yeah, he because he's Polish. Um, the film's Italian, but he so it's been screened obviously on, on Polish TV, and it's got Polish subtitles, and it's in Italian, so I couldn't understand any of it. So. But it looks really good, and yeah, he was a, a really important figure in, in, in Poland. I mean, he he studied in the Krakow, Krakow Institute with uh, Wojciech Haas, who was another great Polish filmmaker. Uh, he made films like um, Mother of Joan of Angels and Night Train, which are two key Polish New Wave films. And uh, he's been the head of the Poli- he was the head of the Polish film unit from like '55 to '72. So yeah, he's a, a big deal. Now, what's my, what I find most interesting about this film is the lead actress. Is Lisa Gastoni, mm. and Lisa Gastoni. Do you know that name at all? I do actually. Yes. Ah, right. I thought you might actually because she she was born in Italy, but when they were very she was very young, moved to England with mm. her family, and became a bit of a B movie or small British films. Turned up in loads of those sort of films you see on Talking Pictures TV. Yeah, and um, but, she was a model as well. And sorry, go on. You yeah. sound like you've got some. Well, she. I think probably what the thing that I know her for is that she caused. A massive stir in the early 60s when, I may have told this story before, so stop me if I have, but uh, she appeared on Jukebox Jury. In I know she appeared on Jukebox Jury, 62, yeah. 
and um, she appeared on Jukebox Jury wearing a strapless dress. And when she appeared in close-up, it looked like she was topless, and that caused ah, you did a massive that, amount yeah. of controversy at the time. I can't no think why. I can't think why we've mentioned her on previous uh, shows. She must have been in something. She was, she well, it might be what else. I'm about to get to in a minute, actually, um, because I was going to say she was in. I mean, they're not all B movies, but they weren't big British mm. movies. She was in lots of those, and then she then she started appearing in things like Danger Man. Yeah, and that's when she appeared on Jukebox Jury, which was when she was, I guess, being quite well known in uh, uh, in a lot of TV shows. Yeah. Uh, and then she moved to Italy shortly after that, and was in her first Italian film. Actually, was a film called The Adventures of Mary Reed, Queen of the Seas, which was directed by Umberto Lenzi in 1961, and that was only the second film he had made. Mm. And then she was in loads of Peplum and B movies and. Lots of that sort of sword and sandal stuff, but then she was hit, you know, had a, I think she was in one of those uh, big, you know, the 60s were full of those portmanteau films where yeah. you might have one part directed by Fellini, another one by, you know, I don't know, uh, Pasolini, and yeah. so on and so forth. Uh, she was in one of those, and, and that raised her profile. And she, she by, by the 60s, she was in all sorts of films, and in the 70s, she was in lots of those sort of psychosexual films, which is this, this, this film is exactly that kind of thing. In fact, this film is about uh, a woman who's been sort of very sexually active, who's now looking for a stable relationship, and, and then the other person in the film is a priest who's looking for, for something different from his life as well. Yeah. So they come, come together. Um, the, the, the reason I think that we might have spoken about it before. Was she released a vocal version of Kimai? Oh, she, yeah. There is a vocal, a seven-inch, where she's singing uh, a vocal version of Kimai. Uh, and on, yeah, and on the B side is uh, another. I can't remember what's on the other side actually, but she sings the rest. And she also released a vocal version of Wake Up and Kill, uh, Una, Una Stanza Vuelta, which was another Morricone one. Mm. She did a vocal version of as well. Oh. So she's done a few of these, and her vocal version, I think, was was reissued in the in, uh, when. Kimai was being big again in the late oh, 70s, right. early 80s. So yeah, it's. Uh, we should also say on this soundtrack, the when you hear the organ, that's Bruno Nicolai playing that organ. Yeah. Percussion, like I said, was the guy that we just said was in uh, Zufol, and of course, uh, Icon Tori Moderni Dallasantoloni uh, doing the vocal, uh, the background singing. Of course, Ed uh, will be there somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is the this is the version on GM Music on General Music, which is very very hard to get and expensive, but you can easily find a CD of it, which is probably better quality anyway. Um, what are we starting with there? I've got. Yeah, I think it's we called are starting come with Come Madalena. Come here, come here, come here, Madalena. Come here, come here Madalena.
the unmistakable sound of Ennio Morricone <laughs> with Chai Mai. <laughs> That's just quite often you'd hear in uh, the late night TV where mm. they do those compilations of classical, yeah. the most beautiful classical music you've ever heard. <laughs> Ennio Morricone with Chai Mai. <laughs> Um, that was Amy Morricone with uh, with with, uh, with Kimai, and uh, before that we had uh, something we haven't spoken about actually, wasn't it? Mm. Which is um, Quincy Jones and Donny Hathaway. Well, it's actually credited as Donny Hathaway, with with assistance from Quincy Jones, mm. and that's from the film Come Back Charleston Blue. And the track we had there, sorry, was called Furniture Truck. Before that we had, well, there were three very small tracks squeezed together. That was Hail to the Queen, Drag Queen Race, and Bossa Nova. So. Come back, Charleston Blue. Now, this is from 1972, and this is the sequel to Cotton Comes to Harlem. Oh, right. Yeah. Which we had on episode. There was one we had a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Episode one, that was, was it. it. Yeah, episode Lovely. one. Yeah. One of the few uh, films I've actually seen as well. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Not seen this one, though. This is, uh, well, this is a sequel. They're, they're both uh, Chester Hines books. This was actually called The Heat Is On, which was the you know the same characters, which is Coffin Ed Johnson and Gravedigger Jones, the, the notorious detective duo. Hmm. And this one is where they're investigating what seems to be the return of notorious gangster Charleston Blue, whose calling card is a cutthroat razor blade le uh, razor le left next to his victims. And uh, this is co-written by Ernest Kinoy, who was um, a writer of socially conscious and a lot of African American films and TV. He wrote Roots. Uh, he wrote several uh, black-themed films like Lead Belly, Charge at 125th Street, which is a pilot from 1974, a couple of Sidney Poitier films. Mm. So, uh, But he was actually uh, sent to a German church, um, concentration camp in World War II as a Jewish POW. Oh. So I think that he, I read in an interview that, that, that after that experience, of course, he was always looking for social justice, yeah. you know, which is <laughs> very understandable. Mm. Um, directed by Mark Warren. Now, he is interesting because he's one of those names that crops up on things like Soul Train and uh, any sort of black soul review show in the late 60s, early yeah. 70s, he might have directed or, or, or was in, involved in. Um, he directed a few episodes of Stanford and Son and Get Chrissy Love uh, and What's, Hap What's Happening. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's very much involved in that. So yes, yeah, it's music by Donny Hathaway, supervised by Quincy Jones. And I think regular listeners and certainly fans of Quincy Jones' film music will be going, well, hold on a minute, that just sounded like Quincy Jones to me. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's certain, some of the more dramatic or, or more film theme parts are very Quincy Jones. And I think there's certainly some vocal tracks and some other more soulful ones. We, I think the last track there was, a, was certainly much more... Um, the Bossa Nova ones. Yeah, it was. Very it was well, there was that. that yeah, there was the sort of. You can see, you know, but you know, it's not fooling anyone. It's not. No. It's not all music by Donny Hathaway, is it? But uh, I'm sure people know Donny Hathaway. I mean, um, I mean, the, but the interesting thing as well is this was right at the end of when Quincy Jones, you know, he was just making soundtrack after soundtrack after mm. soundtrack, and then he stopped and seemed to just sort of concentrate on his big business empire that he had. Yeah. Uh, and I, it makes you wonder whether he started doing this one and then just gave it to Donny Hathaway or something because mm. it's right at the end when he stopped scoring soundtracks Yeah. so who knows and this was you know what this is 72 so it was probably that's when it was released so the soundtrack was probably being recorded in 71 Yeah. and that's you know right after Donny Hathaway had these you know mega hits with the ghetto and all that sort of thing in 70, mm. 71 so yeah makes uh, makes sense that he he was a big name at the time 
Well, should we have cover version corner? Yeah, why not? This week on cover version corner, we have uh, one of mine and uh, two of yours. Yeah. Um, we're going to start first with a track. Well, it's very obscure. Again, delving into our deep well of strange Japanese band leaders and cover versions of usually European soundtracks. Yeah. It seems like the Japanese were really into French and Italian, especially French crime films, but yeah. certainly Italian ones as well. Uh, this is a cover version of a, a track called We Love You Underground. Now, this is a song that was featured in the film Queens of Evil, mm. which is starring Ray Lovelock. Um, every good man who likes Italian genre films loves Ray Lovelock, of mm. course, or as his name was at this point, Raymond Lovelock. And I guess because he was uh, actually British, as opposed to some, an Italian person putting on an, uh, you know, an English name yeah. or an anglicised name, I guess he was, uh, you know, they got, well, I don't know, I guess he probably fancied himself as a bit of a singer at the time, mm. but uh, the song actually did rather well in, in Japan, and yeah. I think there was one other song called Solo, Mr. Lonely, which I think is from the same film as well, I might be getting that wrong, but I'm not sure, but both of those were released in Japan and seemed to do pretty well, so right. there's a whole load of cover versions of those two songs. But this one's by a band called the Sea Barrents Orchestra. Yeah. Now, there's a few of their stuff floating around that you can see compilation albums with, with, with whoever the Sea Balance Orchestra is but this particular track this particular 7 inch I can find almost nothing on the internet about it yeah. so it's a real obscure one it's a really nice version on the B side you've got um, a version of Anonymous uh, Venetian is it oh. Venetian Anonymous whatever you call it Anonimo Veneziano yeah. um, so yeah it's interesting it's a really nice version so we'll hear that first and then we've got two of yours now the one you've got coming up next this is a bit of an exclusive on the show isn't it it's it could is be actually, the yeah. first time it's been played since 1981 wow <laughs> now tell us a bit about this well this came from um a reel-to-reel tape i bought on ebay a couple of months ago which um basically consisted of off-air recordings of um editions of uh, Big Band Special taped off Radio 2 in 1981. And this one's from May 81, and it's a version of Quincy Jones's Chump Change. And do you think that perhaps this doesn't exist in any other format? There perhaps? is a possibility, because Big Band Special, they did a new show every week, and they got the BBC Radio Big Band in to uh, do new tracks every time. And I don't know whether they kept all of this stuff, because obviously with the sheer volume of stuff they were doing, and because of musicians' union rules, they probably weren't allowed to play it again either. So there is a chance that this little tape that we're about to hear might be the only surviving copy of this. I'm not certain about that, but and, if anyone and, knows... And even if it isn't, it's likely to have been the first time it's been played anywhere since BBC, the original broadcast in 1981. Yeah. So a bit of an exclusive uh, yeah. for, the, for the show and here. And it still happens to be a really good version as well. It, it's it is by, fantastic. Uh, yeah. by, uh, it's uh, arranged and conducted by Barry Forgey, who we had back on show one as well. Wow, Barry Forgey, Choice. yes, yeah. Christ. Um, now, is that colour, um, the label, was that... Uh, Peer International. Peer International, was the no, I got it label. wrong. I was yeah. thinking of... Uh, what was the name of the album, though? Uh, Combustion. No, no. thinking of colour, a different one. No. Anyway, um... Now this is Chomp Change, you say? Yeah. So this is Quincy Jones, yeah. and also um, He Who Shall Not Be Mentioned. Yes, in this that's right, age. yes. Bill yeah. Cosby, because mm -hmm. uh, it's the theme tune to his show, isn't it? Yeah. I think. And it's co-written by uh, Bill Cosby, mm. probably in the same way that <laughs> the Charleston's <laughs> co-written by Tommy Haverhill. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> no. And the third one is uh, another one of yours, 
this is Jerry Toth, now someone I've not heard of before. Yeah, he's a, a Canadian um, orchestra leader, and this is from uh, an album on the label Canadian Talent Library, which is a bit of an interesting one because um, the, the idea behind it was they were set up in the 1960s um, because it was felt that there wasn't enough Canadian music being played on that country's radio stations at the time. So they set up the, this uh, series of albums which would be sent out to subscribing radio stations so essentially they could be playing more music by Canadian composers and Canadian artists. And they got picked up in Britain because, uh, as I think I've mentioned on previous occasions, there were, on British radio there were very strict regulations by the Musicians' Union. This was which, your thing, um, your thing, sorry. This was um, what you refer to as needle time. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's what they call it, yeah. Because where, where you weren't allowed to play, where you're only allowed to play, say, about 20 minutes of proper records an hour, and the rest of it had to be filled by live recordings by session musicians to keep them in work or you could use library music or you could use stuff like the Canadian Talent Library which didn't come under um, the PPL licensing agreements and stuff like that so um, this particular copy of the album came from uh, BRMB which was the uh, big commercial radio the, station in London the one that I hear on uh, one of my brother's uh, Jasper Carrot tapes when I was yeah. a kid <laughs> BRMB. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, one for the international listeners. Yeah, because commercial radio stations like BRMB loved, well, they didn't love these albums, but they came in useful because because uh, um, for the overnight shows, when they weren't allowed to play proper records, they were just essentially filled with non-needle time stuff like this. So overnight listeners in Birmingham probably heard this album to death in the early 80s, judging by the number of uh, Yeah, there's a few stamps on the, on the front of it saying yeah. someone had rented it out. When but as like saying, uh, imagine you... Uh, if you were young and well, you weren't in, in those days, but reel to reel tape sitting up at night, I'd have been there constantly <laughs> recording all these tracks and yeah. what have ended up on eBay with these ones yeah. you bought there. Yeah, to... but the DJs absolutely hated them. I mean, you, you can if you can you can approach an overnight DJ from the early eighties and just say the Laurie Bauer Singers, and they will instantly recoil in horror. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the many arts that they were forced to play in those days because of the rules. Well, wonderful. This was certainly an interesting uh, uh, cover version corner this week. Uh, we've got three pretty unique and mm. very obscure. I mean, uh, like I say, this We Love You Underground one I've got, I can't find any mention of that on the internet at no. all, this version of it. Your chump change one, well, it could be a total exclusive. Yeah. And uh, Jerry Toff's version of Last Time Game in Paris is certainly not well known. And, uh, well, we'll start with uh, the Sea Barrents Orchestra with We Love You Underground. Bye. 
the Jerry Toth Orchestra with a theme from Last Tango in Paris. Before that, we had Barry Forgey conducting the BBC Radio Big Band with Chump Change. And right at the start, we had the C. Barents Orchestra with We Love You Underground. And that was Cover Version Corner. And a very fine Cover Version Corner it was too. Mm. Thank you, Simon. And we shall move on to some Roger Corman. Mm. Now... I don't know if we've had any Roger Corman on before. Yes, we must we've have had done. We've had a bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily directed, but we certainly had... We would have had lots of Roger Corman on the Vincent Price special, which mm. you weren't on. That was the one with our friend Peter Fuller. We talked about Vincent Price. Uh, but we certainly had some biker films that would have been produced by Roger Corman, Yes, not did he do that? Was that the Wild Dominic Angels Frontier one? And stuff. No, no, no you're, that's, 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 uh, that's that documentary. No, no, oh, yeah. Really Sunday. I'm no, I'm talking about, you know, the sort of Mike Kerb style ah, soundtracks yes. to gotcha, yeah. Wild Angels, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, this is The Trip from 1967, directed by Roger Corman and uh, written by Jack Nicholson. Ah. And now this is a period when Jack Nicholson was an actor, but hadn't really broke through and was starring in some, some quite... B movie, Roger Corman B movies. So, and um, Corman knew that Nicholson uh, had taken acid before, so he asked uh, him to write. And he kind of thought that perhaps Nicholson might actually turn out to be a better writer than an actor because he yeah. didn't really rate him that much as an actor. And he took this really seriously, Nicholson. He was uh, everyone uh, read quotes from all sorts of friends like Bruce Dern and Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper saying, you know, it was a really good script and he worked really hard on it. And Corman even took some. Uh, some LSD himself a couple of times to, to research and yeah. make sure he knew what he was talking about because they wanted to actually deliver a film that was uh, a real honest portrayal of, of, of taking LSD. Yeah. Uh, what was also interesting was during the filming because both Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda are in this film and Peter Fonda's the lead 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 role in it. Uh, Roger Corman let them take a camera and shoot some of the LSD scenes themselves. Yeah. And it's through this that they felt that Dennis Hopper thought he could be a film director. Um, because of this, he he went on to make Easy Rider. Oh. Uh, it's interesting actually because after this, he they, the script and they, they went to AIP, which is obviously company Corman was working for as well, and they were going to make it. AIP were going to make Easy Rider, but they had a fallout over. I think AIP wanted in the contract of Dennis Hopper that he had to, if if he ever even went one day over a shooting, he could be replaced by another director. Yeah, obviously they fell out over that. They went elsewhere. And the rest is history, yeah. and AIP lost out on what would have been the biggest film they've ever made. <laughs> now, this is interesting. I was telling you before about that BBFC book, um, oh, and yeah. there's some interesting... And this is from the BBFC website, actually. It says here that uh, John Trevelyan, who was the head of the BBFC at the time, during a really you know draconian period, uh, he wrote in his autobiography, he said, and I, and I quote, In 1967, we decided to refuse a certificate to a film called The Trip, made by Roger Corman for American International Pictures. The film purported to show psychedelic experiences resulting from LSD. I showed the film to three experienced psychiatrists, all of whom condemned it as meretricious, inaccurate in, it, in its representation, therefore dangerous. The company strongly uh, contested our decision, uh, but we refused to alter it. On one occasion, their representative in London brought in his own psychiatrist to see me and my advisors, only to find that that psychiatrist agreed that it was a dangerous <laughs> film. The film has, has um, never yet been on original release in this country, uh, and I'm still convinced that our decision was the right one, although we often criticise for it. Now, this film was resubmitted again in, I think, 69, 
in the early 70s, again in the late in the in the early, and then when videotape came in, it was submitted again. It was submitted in the 80s, even right up to the 90s, rejected every time for the yeah. same reason. That all the other ones were obviously when when um, James Furman was was head, and yeah. he thought it was too educational and too too you know this weird thing where they thought people would take drugs because they've seen the truth. Uh, but it was only in 2002 when it finally was allowed was oh. allowed through. There's a new Blu-ray that came out recently that's, that's very good indeed. Yeah. Uh, I suppose we should talk about the music, really, which is by The Electric Flag. Are you aware yeah. of The Electric Flag? I'm is, vaguely aware of them. I don't know them too well. They were being, it's basically Mike Bloomfield and uh, after leaving the um, Paul Butterfield Blues Band, mm. got together with a few other people, I guess. It's that sort of period where you've got like, blood, sweat and tears and people like that, where they're all... Mm. Experimenting with jazz, soul, rock, blues, all in one group. Yeah. So they switch from doing jazz to rock and and so on and so forth. Progressive. Yeah. I suppose Mike Broomfield's also well known for playing electric guitar on Highway 61 Revisited on like a Rolling Stone that sort of stuff. Um, uh, but the electric flag, the drummer's really good. So it's Buddy Miles. Who have you oh, yeah. ever heard much of this? He released a string of solo albums in the late into the seventies. I think I've 70s. got one actually. Yeah. They're really good, mm. really good um, instrumental music. He was a drummer for Jimi Hendrix in the later yeah. period as well. So very, very good. Right, what are we starting with? What track? We're I starting got? with M twenty three. M twenty three isn't that the road, the, the motorway that goes down to Brighton way, <laughs> Gatwick Airport onto it, yeah. Brighton, isn't it? M twenty three. Anyway, there we yeah. go. I don't think they had that in mind. I don't think it was even. I doubt it would have been around in t- in nineteen sixty seven. Probably not. No, it's probably just still A roads. A lot of days. we didn't have many motorways in nineteen sixty seven. No. Did we? What was the first one? M one. <laughs> uh, it was the. M25, I think. That was the first one, was it? Uh, it's, uh, the funny thing is, it's, chunk it's, of it. it's not the M1. The, the first one I wasn't see. the M1, bizarrely. I, I remember yeah. seeing a really, really old film uh, and seeing them building the M4. Mm. In fact, isn't that on the cover of Rolling Stone's album, Get Your Yaya's Out? Which is uh, oh, it's uh, Charlie Watson's with, one man band with, thing, a, with a donkey. Yeah, that I think is filmed on what was being built. The M4 was being built at the time. <laughs> And yeah, because I think if you watch, um, it's not Gimme Shelter. You know the Masai brothers made Gimme Shelter. Mm. There's a there's a there's a another small documentary they made. It's only about twenty minutes long. Yeah, that I think is called Get Your Eyes. I can't remember what it's called now, but that has them filming that scene and it's freezing and they're on the motorway <laughs> there and it's in there. and I think that's the M4 being built. Yeah. So that dates it. That's very late sixties. Yeah. So anyway, we digress. <laughs> this is the Electric Flag with M23.
music from Bond 303, about which you'll be hearing more in a few seconds, I'm sure. Uh, before that, we had uh, The Electric Flag with Peter's Trip and Peter Gets Off before that. And before that, we have Vegetable Wagon from Comeback Charleston Blue by Donny Hathaway with the assistance of Quincy Jones. Thank you, Lord Thames. I'm McLean, and uh, if you like the sound of that voice, you should uh, <laughs> tune in to Serenade Radio, where you can hear every Saturday night dinner tape with Simon McLean. Mm. And uh, nowadays, some some uh, middays, you can hear Lunchbox with Simon yes, McLean. Yes, Tuesdays and Thursdays Tuesdays as Thursdays. well. Yeah. Very fine listening. I, I, I uh, highly recommend it. Assuming um, all these programmes are still going by the well, time you, it's, 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 you specialise in instrumental versions of, of uh, popular songs. Nice tunes. Yeah. Nice tunes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very good indeed, and it's uh, it's it's very entertaining. And the Thank whole you. The whole station's very good. It's... Uh, it's nice to just have one. Unfortunately, yeah. you can't get it on DAB, but you, it's an internet radio station, so you can tune in. Uh, if you've got one of those nice, fancy internet radio radios, you can get it on there. Yeah. One day, Simon's going to have them all available, well, his tr- shows on, online at some point one day. Yeah, someone to get around to In that. a few decades. <laughs> so, Bond 303. Yeah. This is R.D. Burnham music there, where he's just playing around with his new drum machine there. Yeah. <laughs> then it goes. It's almost like the, the bot the beginning where the drums kick in it's almost like that button you knock by accident yes. <laughs> um, someone's left the tempo a bit fast on, yeah. the, on the school ki- keyboard um, reminds me of that great moment in Alan Partridge when uh, he's, he's doing his knowing me knowing you in the yes. hotel and he's knocking the, the demo buttons <laughs> so it's very very funny anyway um, an aim and fire <laughs> anyway we won't do any more quotes this is yes yeah, this is from 1985 believe it or not but I have a feeling this is probably made around 1983 actually um, so this is starring uh, Jitendra uh, who is Bond 303 um, and one of his earliest films actually from 1967 was uh, another Bond exploitation film called Fars yeah. uh, so he's uh, he's done Bond at least a couple of times also starring Parveen Babi, and she was the she's the Bond girl in this. Really popular Hindi actress at the time, but she just went a bit crazy. Um, she went to California with um, with her spiritual leader. I can't remember his name now. He's one of those big ones that went to California, Indian spiritual guys that yeah. that, that uh, lots of Hollywood stars and stuff was following. And yeah. Anyway, she followed him to California, but after a short period, she ended up in being found in a mental uh, ward of a hospital. Oh. Uh, she, she returned to it to uh, India, but after that, she started claiming everyone was was um, trying to kill her, yeah. including the Queen and uh, all sorts of strange minor English celebrities as mm. well. As uh, I don't know what happened to her actually, but um, I don't think she's dead or alive. But she, yeah, she 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 went a bit crazy. Mm. Also starring our favourite perpetual bad guy a lot of the time, Pren Chopra, um, but also starring some really interesting people now. There's a guy called Tom Alter, who I've seen crop up in mm. a few Bollywood films. He's basically one of the few sort of white Anglo-looking sort of people that in there. Yeah. He was the son of um, American Christian missionaries who um, who went to India. Uh, his grandparents went there, yeah. and he was he was born in India. So he's actually a you know fully uh, fully fledged Indian. They moved there in 1916, and uh, he's got quite an interesting story. I won't go into it now, but he usually turns up in in Bollywood films as. You know, a dignitary, a, a past someone, so someone who's uh, in power of some kind. You know, yeah. uh, a civil servant of some kind, something like that. Whether it be passport officer, British intelligence, um, you know, any of that sort of thing. a doctor, customs mm. officers, that sort of stuff. 
But in 1993, actually, he actually um, actually played uh, Lord Mountbatten in in, a, in the film Sadar. Oh. Uh, also starring Helen briefly, doing one of her famous dance scenes, yeah. which she does uh, in so many films. But this must have been one of her last ones before retirement, uh, though she did return in the 90s briefly. And also, you will spot my favourite henchman of them all, who turns up in countless of these kind of body films, which is... Mac Mahan, which is the guy with the beard. If I showed you a picture of him, you'd be like, ah, yeah. him. I've seen him in everything. Uh, and being this is a Bollywood film, Bollywood sort of Bond film, we're full of gadgets, kung fu, stat there's a great moment where statues coming to life. The moment. <laughs> there's a Bigfoot monster in it. There's a yeah. fight in a, uh, some sort of Bigfoot monster that's been created in a lab <laughs> that he has a fight with, which is absolutely outstanding. Um, I didn't say it was directed by Ravi Tandon, but that's nothing more to say other than that. And uh, yeah. Uh, as usual with uh, a lot of Bollywood albums, the instrumentals are just called music. Yeah. And so we have another music coming up later on in the show. Well, let's move on. Let's have Simon's Library Choice. Now, this is kind of Simon's Library Choice, isn't it? Because... Uh, you turned up with no yeah. library choice and had to quickly look through my m minor library collection, <laughs> I say, a small yeah. library collection, and pull out something. Uh, and you stuck your thumb in the pie and pulled out a winner. Yeah. Um, the album is uh, from the Standard Music Library, who we've uh, featured in the past. It's um, a different album on each side. We're focusing on side two, but the album's called Tingling Jingles and Pop Pulsations, and it's the uh, pop pulsations we're interested in uh, on this particular show. We've got um, tracks by various Polish composers, all of whom seem to be sort of fairly well-known and respected in the Polish music scene. I don't know where these tracks originally came from, whether they came from Polski Negrania or Pols Polish Radio or something like that, but um, all jolly lovely anyway. Uh, the first one is uh, called Discofied, and it's by um, Alexander Maliszewski, who was um, probably best known for his group The Alex Band, who were sort of a jazz, disco, funk kind of um, group who were around in the uh, uh, late 70s and early 80s, and it's probably most of them playing on this as well. And we've got um, Boogie by Jacek Malinowski, about whom I know very little, but he's one of those names that always turns up on Polish library music albums, so he's just one of those kind of people, really. And uh, we finish with uh, an arrangement of a classical piece, Prelude in E minor, by Piotr Figiel, and I apologise for I'm pronouncing that wrong, but uh, this track sounds very different from all the others, and it actually came off one of uh, Piotr's commercially released albums in the uh, early mid-70s as well. It's all jolly nice. <laughs> Thank you. 
Prelude in E minor from Piotr Figiel, Boogie by Jacek Malinowski, and Discofied by Alexander Malizewski. And that was my library choice. Thank you, Simon. Um, even if you didn't bother bringing a, a, a library album. No. But, <laughs> but stay with us, listeners, because he didn't bring a library album, but he did bring a film soundtrack 7-inch, yes. which is uh, <laughs> a bonus. Now, this is something you've turned up with that I've never heard of before. And this is the Johnny Spence Orchestra with the soundtrack, or the main theme to The Limbo Line. The Limbo Line, yes. This is quite an obscure 7-inch, isn't it? Yeah, it is, actually, from uh, quite an obscure film. It's uh, made in 1968, and it's one of those um, British films which has uh, sort of, dare I say it, slightly past his best American lead to try and get the American money in. It's one of those ones that, uh, I think they used to say, they made in Britain to appeal to America, but it sort of lands with a dull splash in the middle of the Atlantic, essentially. (laughs) So this one stars Craig Stevens, who was uh, best known as Peter Gunn, of course. Of course, yes. But um, in 1968, he was dragged over here to uh, star in uh, The Limbo Line, alongside Kate O'Mara, who plays the female lead, and a host of reliable... British stars like uh, Norman Bird, John Horsley from the Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin, Frederick Yeager, people like that. So, uh, all, all your all your all sort of yeah. British character actor favourites, essentially. Very good. And uh, the film it concerns um, defectors to the West being captured and uh, dragged away and sent back to uh, Eastern Europe. And that's where well, they bloody. It was a <laughs> bit like a um, bit like what's going on in the, uh, in Britain at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bit of politics there. Bit of politics. <laughs> Mind you, by the time this goes out, who knows what's happened. Yeah, exactly. Nuclear war might have That's the thing. Like... Every time we do a podcast at the moment, you can't mention anything politics because uh, uh, the rate of what's happening, uh, certainly in the UK and the US and other countries, is uh, alarmingly fast. But, yeah. Uh, but, well, if we're still here, then... Uh, if you're listening to this now, listeners, no, then we're, 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 we're not all dead yet. The world's so. not blown up exactly. yet. Exactly. Unless it's like Threads, and um, the only thing we, the only thing that they've got to teach their kids English is just old recordings of Eldar. There's a worship, there's a name up there, it's a Lord Thames, <laughs> of, uh, the sun god that they worship. Yeah. Ah. Making it sound quite good, but anyway, uh, the Limbaland um, music is by uh, Johnny Spence, who I don't think did many films actually, but uh, he was best known as an arranger, musical director. He was with uh, Tom Jones for most of the 70s and in the 60s. He worked with uh, all kinds of people, um, from Ella Fitzgerald to Bernard Cribbins and all points in between, essentially. So, very talented musician. And arranger, but um, I think for this one, he, he clearly been taking his John Barry pills because yes. when, I, when I saw the opening titles of the film, I thought, hmm, I "Wonder if this is John Barry?" And then because it really does sound like uh, one of his. But um, well, I'm sure yeah. the producer said to him, "Give us some John Barry," and he very much succeeded. In fact, the producer probably said, "Get us John Barry," and said, <laughs> "I don't think we can afford that." Yeah. Okay, get me someone who can copy John Barry. <laughs> probably, but yeah. yeah, no, it's 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 nice and it's unique mm. in its own way, isn't it? And yeah. uh, we I'd have listened to it before. Uh, this, but it was the first time I'd heard it. Um, mm. Very interesting. It's one of those many British, I suppose you call them sort of kind of almost B-movie spy films. There were so yeah. many of them post James, post James Bond, Doctor No period, yeah. Bond exploitation stuff, uh, spies, John le Carrier stuff going on as well. Mm. So height of the Cold War. There's endless ones of these. There's there's millions of them made in Italy. Did we have the Liquidator on at all? We did years ago, didn't we? God, it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Lalo Schifrin. 
Mm. With Shirley Bassey singing yes. the Liquidator, we did, yes, and that was. But actually, at the time, I hadn't seen that film. I watched it recently, and that is exactly this kind of thing. It's like mm. a you know Bond thing, but instead of it, a washed up um, American actor, you've got um, the Australian. What's his name? Um, Rod Taylor. Oh yeah. They think that he, you know, they someone seen seen him doing a heroic act yeah. and kill all these Germans when he didn't, <laughs> uh, and years later. He gets pulled into the Secret Service to be an assassin. Yeah. And he, instead of doing it himself, he hires... Who is it? Is it that's it, that's it. Every time... Because um, he, he can't do the killings himself, he hires someone who's a real killer. And it's actually Eric Sykes <laughs> who plays like this real murderer who actually kills people for him. Brilliant. But it's, again, it's one of those films that you know falls way short of... Uh, it's supposed to be humorous. It's supposed to be funny mm. and stuff. But uh, it has that sort of weird, low-budget British feel to it of the, yeah. the, the only films from the sort of mid-60s can feel like. Mm. Uh, it's like those other Bond ones that, that we talked about sometimes. Um, what's his name? The um, Lindsay Shontev did one of yeah. them. Um, Starring people like Tom Adams yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> I'd like, I like to compile a list one day of uh, cut price bonds. Yes. Like Tom Adams is certainly in that list. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely Rod Taylor. Yeah. These, these sort of people. Who who were the ones that were all in the. Of course, everyone's favourite, of course, is um, Connery. What's his brother's name? Neil Connery. Neil Connery yeah. in OK Connery or <laughs> Operation Kid Brother. Yeah. <laughs> which, of course, we featured on the show. Music yes. by Bruno Nicolai. Mm. Anyway, we do digress. Let's mm. hear your um, your record then. And it is. Um... Theme from the Limbo Line by Johnny Spence. <laughs>
le chemin des sans avenir Tous les hasards mènent à bon port Mon port à moi c'est la jeune mort On y jette l'argent par les fenêtres Que l'on soit beau, que l'on soit moche On est tout seul dans son cercueil En oripot ou en galoche, dans un linceul, y'a pas de poche. Sur le chemin des sans-avenir, l'amour surgit à l'aube. Et jamais plus je ne l'oublierai, cette douceur du temps d'aimer. Que l'on soit beau, que l'on soit moche, on est tout seul dans son cercueil. En oripot ou en galoche, dans un linceul, y'a pas de poche. Sur le chemin des sans-avenir, tous les hasards mènent à bon port. Mon port à moi, c'est la jeune mort. On y jette sa vie par les fenêtres Que l'on soit beau, que l'on soit moche On est tout seul dans son cercueil En oripot ou en galoche Dans un linceul, y'a pas de poche Sur les cargos, mes rêves d'enfant N'ont jamais fait naufrage mes rêves d'enfant sont de retour Mais il est un voyage Dont on ne revient
that was Erotico Mystico by Ennio Morricone from Madalena. Before that we had something that we've not talked about yet, Un Alley Sample by Francois de Roubaix, and we had two tracks from that in reverse order, La Visite and Un Alley Sample with uh, vocals by Gilles Dreux. Yeah, and while we were listening to the Morricone track, we were remembering that we I remember hearing about when Morricone set up a new studio, I think he did it with someone like Bruno Nicola and a few other composers. Yeah. They all clubbed together and built a studio. And specifically, this studio is the only studio that had a proper church organ in. <laughs> and I think you could almost draw a line in Morricone's music when that studio was ready, because mm. there is suddenly loads of scores that have uh, <laughs> church organ music in it. Yeah. And um, and it also seems to happily start around the same time as the non-sploitation uh, uh, genre starts yeah. as well so Morricone can just sit there or, or Bruno Nicolai can sit there on the church organ and <laughs> churn out uh, you know, some another clone of uh, the devils or whatever <laughs> yeah. so how lovely to have some Francois de Roubaix on the show mm. again and as uh, Simon said this is the film Una la Simple or Simple, simple, or simple Sample um, however the French say that <laughs> this is a film directed by Jose Giovanni Jose Giovanni we've spoken about him in the past he is the ex-convict who eventually got out of death row actually he was actually going to be executed at one point but uh, I, th- I believe but uh, then wrote crime books based on his own experience and, and became a great film writer and, and director and and you know, wrote and directed some of the best crime films ever made. Mm-hmm. It's yes, yeah, the non de plume of uh, Joseph Darmani. So that's not even his real name. Oh. Yeah, he was a uh, he was apparently the murderer of the Peugeot brothers, which is it's worth reading up on all this yeah. stuff. Who went on death row, but was uh, was actually reduced to life by uh, President Oriel uh, oh. at the time. And uh, yeah, after he got out of prison, he wrote his first novel, The True, which of course was made into a film by Jacques Becker, which is one of the best prison break films of all time, if not the best, it's yeah. absolutely superb. Of course, he then he went on to make a, a whole string of films, or right films, usually starring you know Alain Delon, or Jean Gabin, Lina Ventura, Jean-Paul Bermondo, or, or sometimes all of them. Yeah. Um, he did. He wrote Sicilian Clan, which we had fairly recently on yeah. the podcast, of course, which is another absolutely sensational film. This one is starring uh, Jean-Claude Bouillon, uh, Maurice Gariel, uh, Rufus and Nicoletta and um, Nicoletta's the, the singer you know oh, Nicoletta really? we've had on the show before yeah. you know the singer she was uh, uh, but she's acting in this one oh. hugely popular French singer uh, making her acting debut I believe in this one and this is um, the only film she ever acted in uh, also song uh, uh, there's lots of links in this because um, Francois Rube scored pretty much all of Jose Giovanni's films until uh, Francois Rube died mm. in 1976 Six films, uh, and even a load of films that Giovanni only wrote and didn't didn't actually direct himself. So, yeah. um, must have gotten very well. And it's interesting to note also that Nicoletta she sung the themes to some of these films as well. Yeah. So it's all all linked. I mean, uh, Last Known Address she sung the theme to that, and also of course Nicoletta sang the main theme to Jeff, which is a Franco de Rubé yeah. score that we've had on the mm. on the pod before. The song was of this one that we just heard was was sung by Gilles Deroux. I don't know anything much about him. He was a you know, a singer uh, during the 70s in France. Nothing much more to say about him other than he's still going now, I believe. Oh, good. Yes, he worked with Rubé again, actually, a year later, singing the vocal version of the theme of French TV show Les Sept Rares ou La Mirror 2000, 
which is a drama about a ski resort being built in a small town and all the drama that comes with turning a small town into a, a big ski resort. Oh. Uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, as there's the, it's worth, worth having a look at, actually. It's quite interesting looking. The, the lyrics of the song were written by Jose Giovanni as well, yeah. which he did a, a few of the songs for his films that he wrote the lyrics to. So you were pointing out when the song was on that the sound's quite intense when yeah. he's singing. And if the lyrics were written by Jose Giovanni, then of course they're going to be crime lyrics, yeah. uh, appropriate. So I guess his his you know his very passionate delivery is uh, is um, suits the, the the song. Yeah. Right. Well, um, got something interesting coming up now. Um, some disco music from a TV movie. Oh. Uh, now this is the Savage Bees from 1976. The music is by the Walter Murphy Band, but we'll yeah. get to that in a minute. Briefly say that the film is about uh, a swarm of killer bees that invade a town. It's starring Ben Johnson as an NBC TV movie, I should say, who's the local sheriff who investigates multiple bee attacks. What he first finds out his dog is ill and then dies, um, and they've been it's been attacked by the bees. Yeah. Um, also starring Michael Parks, who died fairly recently. Probably won't be that recently when you hear this podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> um, Directed by Bruce Geller, who's the guy who invented... You probably know. You're very good with these things, aren't you? Bruce Geller, what, is, what do you think? Oh, I know the name. I can't place it. Though. Yeah, he um, he created Mission Impossible ah, and yeah. Mannix as well. Yes. Uh, he actually died um, not long after making this film, crashing his plane into Buena Vista Canyon. Oh. This was only his second film after directing the James Coburn pickpocket film Harry in Your Pocket yeah. so he only made two films actually So, and Harry in Your Pocket is quite good fun mm. but he must have loved Lalo Schifrin because he obviously used him for Mission Impossible and he also used him for Manix yeah. the TV show and Harry in Your Pocket and also he produced Bronk ah, the yes. uh, Jack Palance Kojak kind of clone and that has a theme tune by Lalo Schifrin as well yeah. um, but not this this doesn't have Lalo Schifrin but I guess this is a TV movie perhaps they couldn't have afforded him yeah uh, this was actually followed by a sequel called Terror Out of the Sky. Now, this film is co-produced by Don Kirshner, oh. who we spoke <laughs> about about tomorrow. Yeah. And that's why we end up with, I guess, the Walter Murphy Band, because mm. uh, it's on his um, on his label, yeah. which I think is private stock, which is one of his, I believe. Mm. Yeah, this is when Don Kirshner was getting into film and TV. Um, so this, is, this film is actually a, a co-production of Don Kirshner. And if you look at the record itself, the track we've got is is the Walter Murphy Band, Flight 76, Part 2. Yeah. The A-side is Flight 76, Part 1. Yeah. But we're playing Part 2. And it says on it, from Don Kirshner, the NBC production of Attack of the Killer Bees. So obviously at this point, the film it hadn't been made, or it had been made and it had a different title. Yeah. Which they changed the title to The Savage Bees. Um, published by Don Kirshner, of course. Yeah. Uh, on private stock, this, was created, this label was created by Larry Utal. Uh, who, after being ousted by um, Clive Davis from Bell, set up his own label, Private Stock. Mm. Now, Walter Murphy, you'll know him from... Uh, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, Fifth the of Fifth of Beethoven, yeah. which is very similar to this track. It's, again, taking yeah. a piece of classical music and giving it the disco treatment. Mm. Which seemed to be sort of a build a career on this, didn't he? He, yeah. he released several... Sort of, there's a lot of those sort of disco concept albums, aren't there? Yeah. Uh, where, whether it be... Um, Hunchback of Notre Dame, or you know, <laughs> a, yeah, something yeah. anyway. But the, the, he 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 did a few of those, and they were uh, disco versions. He did um, Toccata and Funk in D minor. Yeah. Uh, those sort of great great tracks. 
Um, but he went on to a massively successful career in TV years yes. later, which I didn't realise. He does all the music and um, writing the music for Seth MacFarlane's TV stuff. Yeah, he's still very active today. Yeah, oh, Family yeah. Guy, American Dad, all that stuff. And, of course, the Ted films as well, which mm. he ended up being nominated an Oscar for Best Song yeah. for one of the songs in the Ted film. I'm not actually sure if this film music actually makes it into the film. <laughs> I watched the film the other day on, on YouTube, and I don't remember... I was working at the same time, so I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention to it. Mm. It was on in the background, but... Um, I don't remember any disco music in the film at all, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was just like a promotional thing. But Yeah, well, Flight 76 was um, on one of Walter Murphy's albums, possibly before it was it turned up on the film. I'm not sure, well, certainly part one was. I don't know about part two, well, having said that. But much the same, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's why yeah. I felt, didn't feel it necessary to have both of them on. No. But, uh, yeah, it, was, um, I, it might, may be that uh, Don Kirshner sort of had this track, had the rights to this track, and thought, oh, right, we'll stick that on then, it's fine, it's sort of vaguely B-ish. You know? Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's got the, yeah, well, it's Flight of the Bubble yeah. Bee sort of thing, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. very much so. Oh, well, well, let's listen to the Walter Murphy Band with Flight 76, Part 2. <laughs>
Berman with music, but a different one from the one we heard earlier from Bond 303. Before that we had a nice and very short thing called Joint Passing from The Electric Flag, and that was from The Trip. And before that we had Tomorrow Instrumental by Tomorrow from Tomorrow. Mm, which we think is not probably by the band Tomorrow. No, it sounds like uh, Hugo Montenegro and his chums again. Session musicians again, yeah. yes. Well, that brings us almost to the end of the show. Mm. And uh, what a interesting mixed bag this show has been. Yeah, uh, very very <laughs> interesting. What more is to say other than we'll be back, and uh, we're hoping to do another special soon with uh, another aged musician who will, will be bothering. And uh, mm. uh, we've got a few names in mind at the moment. Yeah. yeah, we've just got to try and pick our victim at the moment. So. Indeed, indeed, and uh, we'll. But you know, a couple of normal shows uh, between now and then, and. Uh, We'll leave you with uh, enough. Well, by the way, quickly, you should say as well if you're a first time listener, go to eldiabolic.com where you'll see all of the album sleeves, all the art there, and track listings with uh, catalogue numbers of the LPs. And uh, that leaves us just to say thank you and goodbye. Hmm. And uh, thank you for coming over to the new Diabolic Towers again. Uh, is, is we've this moved the fourth or the fifth place we've done this in? Um, one, two, three, four. This is the fifth place. Yeah. We've, this is the fifth, yeah, fifth house I've lived in since we're starting the podcast that Simon's had to come and visit. <laughs> and um, truth be known, we'll probably be moving out of this one fairly soon, because we've made a terrible mistake. Oh. But um, <laughs> anyway, we could even be recording from another country within a year or so. So uh, <laughs> um, we'll see. Anyway, uh, thanks again, listeners, for listening. And uh, if you want any requests, don't forget ping us on Facebook or, or um, go to the website. It's got our email address there. We take requests. And we'll leave you with another track from tomorrow. And this is a really nice track, actually. This is called Happiness Valley. Uh, which is, I really like this. It's just a very nice, catchy little song. It's probably, probably the best pop song on the album, actually. Yeah. Good night. Goodbye. Show me the